and welcome to the Unhinged History Podcast, the podcast where two friends compulsively study random facts of history that we cannot not study. And then we take a break from telling our husbands and children the factoids they have not asked to hear. They have asked not to hear. And then we direct it in one steady stream in verbal diarrhea at our friends. And you've tuned in. What is you wrong say that, but with I, you? I, I, th- <laughs> I feel like it's not always one steady stream for me. It's like the bursts of mm. verbal diarrhea. <laughs> the bursts. That's, that's honestly, I'm watching our visual, listenership leave. They're closing the doors. They're shutting the lights off with us still in the room. Well, that's your fault because you asked him what's wrong with them. <laughs> and here I thought it was the spurts of verbal diarrhea that did it. Nope, not this time. <laughs> Probably every other time, though. Now, I will say, speaking of diarrhea, um, when <laughs> you... <laughs> you like that transition? So when I had sent you a gift and you said that you were at work and I told you it would be at your house and maybe you should shit your pants so that you could go home. You did say that and it made me laugh very loud. But did you laugh hard enough to poo yourself so you could excuse yourself? So the funniest part of all of this is by the time I got that text, I was in the car on my way home. (laughs) So I was like, I don't want to now. Like, I'm already almost there, only to find out that the post office shipped it back. I know, but you got it now. It is in your hands. You you showed it to me. Okay, so now we're going to do the worst unwrapping that we can because this is a non-visual medium. So I will narrate. Reader or listener, Angie is... (laughs) Dear listener... (laughs) Angie is shredding open the bubble mailer that I have put the package into. And she is pulling out a wrapped thing because she has a birthday at some point. And so I used birthday wrapping with a fantastically pink bow. It really is. It's outrageous. It's like big hair pink. Yeah. The higher the hair, the closer to God. So we're not here for the bow. You're not a cat. I didn't do this for Mavis. I did this for you. I love that you know it would be Mavis that went after it. You rap like a monster. This is so perfect. I can't find a spot. There we go. You know, and here I was hoping that I would rap R-A-P like a monster. Instead, I have... Take it however you want. I'm not t- I'm not telling you how to live your life. Yeah, you know, hom- homonyms, right? You know, I'm, I'm going to be the whitest, most middle-aged white woman. And now she's she's displaying a <laughs> box, just a nondescript box that says dollar bill frame. <laughs> but for all she knows, it was reused. It's filled with native deodorant for all she knows. She has no idea. <laughs> no way. That's freaking amazing. This is going on the wall today. Okay. So what is as she, if she as she, she is displaying? <laughs> A one dollar, a very ornate, my favorite one dollar bill frame with now there was a second one tucked into the frame itself. There was a piece of paper tucked into the frame. Okay, hold 
Um, she is displaying a um, copy, a replica of a script from Emperor Norton, the only emperor of the United States. I found replicas of his money. And because I couldn't afford five grand for a single <laughs> scrap of legitimate paper, I could afford somebody, you know, printing it off and putting copy on the back of it. So you have one. This have. is the most baller dollar bill I have ever Isn't seen. that an incredible thing? There is so much script and his little picture wearing his uniform at the top. Mm hmm. And when you covered him, I had thought about it. And randomly, I was like, I'm going to look up and I'm going to see how much those are. I'm like, they got to be like Confederate dollars, right? I mean, I could spend five bucks. The last one I saw at auction went for five grand. I believe it. Um, We have Confederate money that held like value until 2010 when they found all the Confederate money in France. (laughs) So now we just have it for fun. Mm. (laughs) This is going on the wall. Like today. I am Good. so excited about Good. this. Because I have one on the wall. As you should, because Emperor Norton is our is our emperor. He is our emperor. Now and forever. <laughs> Indeed. And we don't even have to wage a galactic battle for him. He just kind of showed up one day. <laughs> but I would. Oh, in a heartbeat, I'd get him a fancy uniform and everything. This is love right here. You know you love a person when you buy them a dollar. <laughs> or right. to be clear, a $5. It was a, it's a $5 script. Let me look up and see what episode we did of Bernard. Norton. I don't feel like it was terribly long ago. And now my Saber Saint book is absolutely not nearly as cool as your dollar bill. The, the, the Saber Saint book is good, but my notes are really bad. Um... Because the only <laughs> emperor I have is the Holy Roman Emperor Joseph II, who fought and lost himself. So let me write Norton. Ah, Joshua Abraham Norton. I'm going to put emperor He's the here. one. Episode 41 for those playing at home. So if you want to learn about America's once emperor, one and only emperor, episode 41 and that's where i cover the pirates jean and pierre lafitte Ooh, our pirate boyfriends oh yeah how do you not love them you know it honestly i think 41 was an episode we peaked at to be honest that that seems like a really <laughs> incredible ep- like lineup right there truly like you might not get first of all further away from each other Mm-hmm. And and second of all, like m- you can't get more charactery characters. Like these are the men people write characters after. Right. I mean, I would say that Jean and Pierre Lafitte they are very chaotic. Chaotic good. I would say the same thing about Emperor Norton. <laughs> okay, so maybe that's you know. Okay, so when I was I took a linguistics class in my undergraduate. And my professor writes the words black and white on the board. And she goes, what are these? And we said opposites. And she goes, are they? And we were like, yeah, no, we're, we know this. We're, they're opposites. And she goes, well, what are they? We've well, made it this far. 
Yeah, I was like, look, you know, I've been voting. I could serve jury duty. I've been paying taxes. I'm pretty sure those words are opposite. She goes, well, they're both words describe color, right? Right. Do they describe shape? No, but they describe things, right? So they're all, oh, they're both adjectives. Like she goes through the full thing. She goes, basically, they're exactly the same, except in one regard. You know, because you, you go through like, oh, well, they they describe these things. They do this. They do that. They right, do right. all of these things together. And their paths only diverge at one point. And it was one of those. And that's things- shade? <laughs> Yeah, you know, but it was just fascinating to go like, and that's where we think of them as opposites. Like, but they're not opposites in what you, you know, it's not like apples to orangutans. Right. They're opposites in what you wouldn't expect them to be opposites in. Right. I love it when you teach English. I mean, she did everything she could just to screw with our little minds. You know, that's a sign of a good teacher as far as I'm concerned. Or a maniac. Or a little of both, a little column A, a little column B, both, both is good. Both is, you know what? You're right. You're right. You know, difference, not wrong. <laughs> oh my goodness. So I have a, I have a question for you. Yeah. Do, do you, do you want to hear my whole story? Okay. Because you had said, Hey, I might have the full story. I might really I just do it all by myself and let you just sit on your rest on your laurels and do absolutely yeah. bub kiss. Because I've got a doozy. I mean, and to which the only thing I have to say is, look, this is a big ass margarita and it's not going to drink itself. <laughs> so I've chosen the right day for you to have a big ass margarita and for me to have a big ass story. Is that what I'm hearing? You know, every time I hear like, you know, big ass and everything, like that, and I know I started it, I want to hyphenate it differently. Instead of saying big dash ass, I want it to be big ass margarita, ass story. <laughs> so I want it to be a big story about asses. There's some asses in my story. And that, Not reader, is where we're starting. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by some assholes. Promo code unhinged. <laughs> Get your vodka there online where you can buy it like a real adult without going to the store. Anytime it can be delivered can to you. you. Yeah, no, I've had whiskey delivered, but because you have to have an adult home, I had to have it delivered to work. And so I had two <laughs> handles of sorghum whiskey delivered to my office and um, questions were asked. Mind your business. What happens between consenting adults? After 5 p.m. What? This is weird. Um, Go on. (laughs) Right. Uh, So I I would like to, I would just like to preface my story that that is if you're willing to hear my big ass story. (laughs) Did I say it right? No, you did. You did. I, I appreciate you adopting my I'm here for it. Yeah, I, I foisted it Listen, upon you. The English language is pretty much just an adopted language, right? Like we're three tr- kids in a trench coat mm-hmm. trying to cross the street. Like yep. that's You're accurate. Yeah, so we can change it. No one's gonna, no one's going to notice, right? 
<laughs> and there's less three yeah. kids of trench coats doing anything these days. I feel like my childhood prepared me for more to be on the lookout for that. I'm not seeing it. And quicksand. We don't yes. deal with nearly enough quicksand. I mean, and the amount of times I have not been offered drugs is astounding. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I was prepared. I was not prepared for you to say that. And I'm so glad I used the facilities before I sat down. <laughs> Thanks Look, for that. We did talk about soiling our pants earlier on, so I'm doing what I can to be consistent. But yeah. anyhow, I want to know your story, your ass story. Okay, my ass story. So um, we are officially celebrating Women's History Month. Mm-hmm. And so in honor of that... I wanted to find a story that I knew nothing about. Like, I wanted to find a lady from history that did amazing things that I was completely, like, brand new to. Because that seemed, like, for me, the a great way to go into it, right? Okay. You wanted okay. to be surprised and delighted. And I was surprised and delighted. <laughs> Marginally pissed off, but surprised and delighted as well. Okay. So um, I have quite a lot of sources, but mostly I cited them simply because I didn't want to lose them, whether I use them or not. But the bulk of my source comes from worldhistory.org and the BBC. So those are those are what we're working with. And I am... I'm going to start with a bit of poetry. Are you ready? Wait, wait, wait. you're not going to actually name the sources that you just teased us that you had? They are the BBC and World History. You said a myriad, like several, like, but just. Do you want other ones? I I mean, you know what? You're fine. You're fine. I'm done. I'm done being a a (laughs) persnickety little fart. There's badassoftheweek.com if you must have that. I'm okay. It includes the word ass. So I'm here for it. See, thank you. You know, we can move on now. You know, I just need. Okay. A little bit of you needed that one. Yeah. I gotcha. I gotcha. Okay. Uh, I have another one called teenqueens.org and um, the orthodoxchristian.com website, which I. One of these was... things is not like <laughs> the other. You're right. It's not, but it was, it was interesting nonetheless. So I'm going to start with a little bit of poetry because I thought it was amazing. It's just a short line. Lion whelps are equally lions, though female or male they be. This is an excerpt from The Night in the Panther's Skin, which was written by Shoda Rustavelli, a um, medieval Georgian author. I almost called him a creator because we live in today's world. <laughs> right, you know. <laughs> um, an influencer, six- if you will. Yeah, an influencer, Exactly. It is 1,600 stanzas long, and it is so influential to Georgian culture, even today, that there are people that still have the entire thing memorized. Yeah. Right? And it was written in the 13th century. That is... So, how long is Canterbury Tales? Because Canterbury Tales was also written in about that time Yeah, and also very long, too. Yeah, I don't know. I have to look that up. Now we I'm don't need to do it right now because I now I'm trying to imagine I'll get somebody back to you remembering that. or memorizing the entire thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like 
when I read that, I kind of just kind of stood there for a second with a blank look on my face like that's 1600 stanzas. And I thought I was cool because I had the epilogue and the prologue for Romeo and Juliet memorized. And here I am thinking like, look, I got a monologue from Mission Impossible that just lives rent free in my brain. Yeah, here we are. There are people that have so much more in there. But anyway, oh, yeah. I digress. Carry on. <laughs> so I I will go back to that at the end, though, because it does it holds such significant cultural status that it will be mentioned again later. So in 1166, King Georgi III and Queen Berdunkahan of Georgia the look on your face is so smug, and you are also there's... prepared for me to call you out. Go ahead, because there's some names in here that I spelled phonetically, so I could hopefully say them again the right way. <laughs> Born to them, the king and the queen of Georgia, is a sweet baby princess named Tamar. Now, the thing that is special about her is that she is his only child first of all she is his only at this moment his only living child and then later his only legitimate child okay so, so he figures it out with the maid yeah a mistress of some sort um and he proclaims that he's going to share the throne with his daughter from the day she turns 12 years old that's a bit young the get yeah, but he's looking around. He's looking at the world unlike King Viserys in House of the Dragon, and he's seeing seeing what can come of not having a male heir, right? So at 12 years old, he has her crowned very publicly in front of both the aristocracy and the clergy. And he does this with intent to basically give her as many years as is is the remainder of his life to learn the craft and she serves as a surrogate in his place when he's not there so like okay this is the best kind of as far as i'm concerned the best kind of kingly quote-unquote education you can get because you start at 12 years old well and this is also like what you, you said the 13th century so she was born in 1166. So 1166. right now we're in the, Okay. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. Um, you know, I'm honestly, this makes sense because how long, how old would you be when they shipped you off to an apprenticeship? So you're one less mouth to feed and you can learn how the tanning hide. Right. Or it at this point in time, how old are you when they ship you off to marry someone else? Right. In, in most bleeds, of these cases. Pretty much. Right. So. Like I said, he crowns her very publicly, and um, I'm just I'm just gonna get I'm just gonna get right into it. So part of the reason, as I said before, that he crowns her and he chooses her as his heir and makes it very apparent, <laughs> lack of a pun, I love it, is that he had a nephew once. Oh, but the he meets an untimely death. Yeah, well, you're gonna hear all about it. So I'm gonna give you the backstory. And here is where I was like, whoa, what a story. How did we not know about this? So King George, because we're Americans and Georgi is a fun word to say, but really hard on repeat. 
So he's the grandson of the eminent King David, the builder, otherwise known as the restorer, who was, according to the, so wait, wait, the wait, wait, wait. I'm not letting you zip past that. I'm not letting you zip past that. Dave, the builder, not Bob, the builder. <laughs> uh, you're right. We really blew it on that one. I just and I wanted also, you to know I was listening. I'm proud of you. I want you to know that while I was learning about this particular event in history or this particular time in history, how much of it reminded me of Game of Thrones. Okay. Bran the Builder, Dave the Builder, whatever. I mean, so, I was thinking, can we build it? Yes, we can. Sorry, I'm a mom. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're at, and he can and he will. So according to the World Encyclopedia, he, quote, was the king of Georgia from 1089 to 1125. His long reign was marked by a substantial revival of medieval Georgia. He regained much of Georgia's lost territory and controlled a realm stretching from the Black Sea to the Caspian Sea by his death. David's religious, military, and cultural forms stabilized the domestic life in Georgia and established the monastery of Galanti in a major as a ma major cultural center. So it's under this David that Georgia is unified for the first time in centuries. So another couple of really interesting things to note about him and the remaining the the next several rulers of this dynasty are that first of all his armies were so well commanded and so well trained that he had no problem taking on armies that were four times the size and emerging victorious like yeah. it wasn't yeah it was just a thing like they just did it and both him and his son attended church and the mosque and spoke arabic so Whoa. To me, right, thinking of the area and the time frame, these are the way that in my imagination that he's running his country and the way that he's presenting himself is very super tolerant. Like he allowed people of religion, you know, varying religion and um, different belief systems to be part of his country, but not only that, to be part of the body of that had a voice so it wasn't just like hey um i run this country you're all catholic or hey i run this country you're all greek orthodox whatever like he saw what it was and chose to find the happy medium and i think that's so important to note given that we are literally in the time of the crusades <laughs> that's important to think about right so Gheorghe, or George, he inherits this throne and the strength and vitality, and he deals harshly with those that oppose the crown. One of the main things of themes of Tamar's father's reign was that he centralized royal power. He was not only feared, but he was respected by his subjects, and um, he would show priority to external political and military success of the Georgian kingdom, which not only brought him favor with the people but he was known for bringing like lesser houses up and not allowing all the pay the power to sit with the old aristocracy like he oh. tried to like diversify for lack of a better word and i think that's super interesting so 
so all that to mention that <laughs> anyway all that to say we're team yarge that's all i gotta say yeah pretty much and and like you said another thing about his his predecessor king david is he his reign is established as the sole supreme power in the caucus region so like there was no one higher than him and then yorge right however he did have yorge did have a well georgia in general has a pretty intense rivalry with the muslim power groups in the caucasus region as well as their other muslim neighbors in the middle east so king david's son and grandson would fight with their muslim neighbors over control over the major of the cities in the caucasus for most of their reign Eventually, or ultimately, Georgia was successful in becoming the preeminent power in the region. And this ushers in an area, uh, excuse me, an era of greatness for Georgia. Like, think Elizabeth Elizabeth I's Enlightenment. Like, I am surprised you didn't call her Lizzie One. I considered it. I wanted to so bad. (laughs) I mean, because I was just like, wait a minute. Something's wrong here. Lizzie One. My girl. That think of that type of like growth within your own cultural um, significance and your own history, like yeah. that is happening right now. Okay, so however, no no rain can be <laughs> exempt from <clears throat> bad marks, and close to the end of his reign, George would face a pretty significant and heartbreaking problem in a rebellion. So. This is what Queen Tamar is growing up in. This is what she's seeing. And it's, I know the stories about her, but without giving the backstory and placing her in this, in the context, it doesn't seem fair to her story without knowing what the men brought upon her that she had to basically clean up. Dude, I'm down. Right? So, like I said, close to the end of his reign, he realizes we're, we're going to enter into a rebellion. And it starts with the House of Orbelis which had risen during the rule of King David. And so now we're working with like 60 years of loyal service to the to the crown. And also now we're organizing a rebellion against that crown we've been loyal to for 60 years. So Ivan Orabelli, he is the main conspirator against the crown and he convinces King George's nephew, the young and very inexperienced Prince Demena, I think I pronounced that wrong, but it's D-E-M-N-A, and every time I hear it, I say it different, but it's uh, another variation is Dimitri, so we could call it what you will. Um, Anywho, Ivan convinces him to join the rebellion, and he basically promises that after the rebels have overthrown the king, they're going to crown Demena, and he's going to be the sole ruler for the kingdom. So, like, you're young, you're gullible, like, Okay. I'm going to be king. Heck yeah, do what I'm you will. Go- yeah. Right? However, um, that wasn't the actual plan. The actual plan was quite different from what he told the young prince. He intended, um, Ivan, to take control of the country himself um, using the prince just kind of as a puppet. Like, you know? Yeah. Um, And I think we see that kind of a lot with younger rulers in history but he and long story short he doesn't make it so ivan and his supporters begin a rebellion in 1177 
some historians claim the rebellion actually occurred in 79, but let's say it began in 77. So nevertheless, King George, not being a weak ruler who would panic at the threat of mortal danger, immediately gathers his troops and unexpectedly attacks the fortress of Lori, which is in present-day Armenia. And all the rebels are garrisoned there. So these quick and aggressive measures taken by the king scare the pants off the rebels. And the, the rebellion immediately starts to unfurl and decline. And many of the rebels abandon Orabella and Demina. And finally, when King George captures the remaining rebels, he pardons almost everyone. Because fairness, I guess. Or, you know, still trying to maintain power in your presence kind of thing. Like, he doesn't... So, long story short, he pardons everyone except Ivan Orabelli, his son, Sumbat, and his brother, Kavtar, who are all blinded and put to death. Blinded first. Yeah. And then he orders the most intense punishment for his nephew... He is blinded, castrated, and soon afterwards dies in a dungeon. Big mad. Yeah, big mad. And apparently, according to some of the sources that I read, to blind and castrate someone was a pretty common occurrence during the Crusades, which I did not know. That was like brand new information for me. And now I have further questions, but that's not what this story's about. Right. Yeah. So there's your backstory. And after that really awkward Thanksgiving, um, Pop lives another seven years and dies, believe it of all, of what appear to be like natural causes, old age or maybe some type of sickness. Of all the things, I really didn't see him going out of old age. But he does. You you thought somebody was going to put some ground up glass in his food or something? I Well, you know, after you're blinded and castrated drone nephew i kind of maybe saw some revenge you saw some more game of thrones action i really did because the beginning of the story is so george r r martin right like where's cersei oh i have an idea anyway i'll get to her oh okay Um, foreshadowing yeah. yeah on accident so march 27 1184 queen tamar begins her solo monarchy, her solo reign. She's around 24 years old. Not a bad age, Once, you know? You, not you, a bad age, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, and you've been training served, for it since, since what, 12? 12. So she's been at this for 12 years. It, or, you know, so we think with the numbers, right? Like, we are talking about something that happened in the 1100s. So... Are you saying that we just don't have solid written record? Well, part of the problem... And you'll see towards the end of my story is that, well, first of all, I'll say this. She is one of the few powerful women in history whose story is um, romanticized in the right way. Like she is a treasured hero of her people. Whereas, you know, you hear like when you think of most women in history, they're often ostracized. Brendagon and Brunhild. Right, right, right. So her story is told from the perspective of chronicles that like worshipped the ground she walked on. So we don't get a lot of um, like news from the other side, if that makes sense. Yeah. When thinking of her. 
So all that to say, she's 24 years old. She becomes the sole ruler. Now, two interesting things about this. In Georgia, there has never been, up to this point, a sole female ruler. If you were the queen, quote-unquote, and you're, you would be the queen consort, and you would rule, like, regency after your husband died, right? Like, but never had there been someone that took the throne of their own, like, they didn't inherit it, they had no real ruling power until she came along. So there was no word for queen in their language okay um in that regard so she is known both as a queen and a king depending on the context and the language because as i said she's the first woman to rule in her own right um and there there are other words and um words that come out of persia and the arabic language that refer to her as the queen of queens or tamar the great um, even by her contemporaries called her Tamar the Great. So I feel like that's really important because you hear a lot of the greats, but like, when did they get that added on? <laughs> you know? Yeah, they weren't um, like at the state dinner going, and I'm Tamar the Great. Frederick II, sit right. down, sit down. I said sit. And I have no problem believing that she would say that. <laughs> okay. So... Um, so like I said, so she's known as the King of Kings or the Queen of Queens or the Mepe, which is, I think, very similar to, um, Romanian, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Aristocratical titles, royal titles. I have to say, look, I was there for a week. I don't necessarily remember, like, I didn't retain the, the entire the language ancient and word history. for king. Yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> although I just thought that was cute interesting. that you would assume that I would have that. Well, it's a weird word, and it's one of those words, at least in to to an American, to to remember that it stood out to me as something I remembered from somewhere else. I could be wrong on the on the whole thing, right? That's just something that popped in my brain right then. So, you would like to believe that Queen Tamar takes her rule and has no opposition, right? But we know that men are going to men, and this is not how history works. She is oh, immediately faced with opposition. Interestingly enough, one of the first rebellions that rises up during the beginning of her reign, she squashes by sending, and I think this is just fascinating to me, it's believed that she put down this rebellion simply by sending two women to negotiate it. These women were the wife and daughter of two of the men among the rebels. Ta-da! Problem solved. Like, wild that, you know, democracy or diplomatic ties work. Um, and the idea that I thought was really interesting about this, BBC specifically talks about that the idea of sending the two women comes from a deeper root based in Christianity with the belief that Georgia was first converted by one of the only female apostolic saints. Oh, right. So, like, Tamar knows her history, too. Like, she not only is great at politics, but she can look back and be like, hey, actually, women don't have a problem having power here. Like, look at this story, right? Like, so she's using that to her advantage, clearly from the beginning. However, to her great disadvantage, the ruling nobles, you know, we're, we're dealing, right, she's this the sole monarch, but 
all monarchies have an aristocracy that yeah. thinks they know better, barons and dudes right. and the whole yeah. bit, right? They demand that she marries. Now, for the most part, she concedes to a lot of their requests for the sake of, you know, peaceful rule and peaceful transition and all of that. She is not so keen on marrying right yet, but she does. She's like, okay, here we are. I guess this is what we're doing. And they basically against her will because she has no desire. She doesn't know this guy. She has no desire to marry him. They pair her up with, are you ready for this name? I am so excited to say. Prince Yuri Andreevich Bogolovsky. Well done. <laughs> Thanks. Phonetics. He happens to be a Kievan Rus duke in exile. Now, because I was curious, how does one just become a Kievan Rus duke in exile? Well, that's because he was dethroned and expelled after the murder of his father in 1175. That's fairly noble. Right. I'm not sure if he had anything directly to do with that, but something tells me that when you are both dethroned and expelled, there was probably a little bit of patricide happening. Uh, It's my guess. You say that, but I mean, you look at like Lord Mountbatten. Prince Okay. He was um, of Greek nobility. And And, when they were ousted, then he fled. Right. So we don't accuse him of often daddy dearest. Yeah, but we know this daddy dearest was murdered. Okay, but so we also that. know that that was in the 1100s. Who like, could have been anything, this... right? Yeah, like, it could have been so many things. And to be fair, I didn't look much past that because this story's not about him. It's about her. <laughs> and you're like, you know what? I want to think the worst about this man. So I should I just I really stop. do because he is not the best. Um, he's not liked by the people. While he does have some skill intact on the on the battlefield, he is kind of a drunkard. He's abusive. He's unkind. Some believe he's homosexual, which you can assume at this point, at this place, at the amount of piety within their ruling party, that is highly um, not looked, not it's highly frowned upon. You know, if you're married so, to a queen, I could understand that maybe looking at the other gender with more lust than your wife could be bad. But I mean, also, yeah. Right. Now, the interesting thing about him is, you know how I mentioned earlier, she's not so into him. She doesn't want to marry him. She doesn't know him. But she is immediately curious. Like, why did the nobility choose him? Why did they choose a prince from Russia with such expediency and not, say, from, like, the royal family of the Byzantine Empire? Like Logical questions. Right. Like, what in the world is, is the thing with him, right? So, long story short, they get a divorce after two years, and she sends him packing to Constantinople. A divorce? Yes. Wow. Okay. So here's the thing. Okay. Not only see- is she the queen, but she is in great standing with the church in her area. So the bishop, like the Catholic bishop and the ruling like Orthodox Christians are like, yeah, okay, do the thing. He's he's not following the law, you know, whatever. So yeah, go for it. And they totally sign off on it. 
So she sends him like a severance package and kicks him off to Constantinople. And I think that's just hilarious. Like, here's your alimony, kick rocks, peace out. However, he did not, in fact, peace out. He did not approve of this and attempted a couple of coups. Mm. She, however, crushed them and sent him packing again. Now, coincidentally, the one... So, I forgot to mention this. In Georgia, the Catholic... The Catholics are called Catholicos. And I think that's really funny. But the... Kind of like a Catholico... Yeah, that's what I kept thinking, too. The Calico Bishop, he's like the... He you basically just said serves, Calico Bishop. Yeah, I did, didn't I? <laughs> the Catholico The cutest bishop, bishop. The Catholico Bishop is the chief bishop and also serves as a prime minister. He is kind of the only person in the church that has a beef with her. However, he dies. So, oh, not darn. really a problem for her anymore. I know. Sorry about that. And like I said, he's a pain in her side. So, you know, this basically gives her all the freedom and powers that she's hoping for. And she does want to marry. So she starts looking for her next husband. And here's kind of my favorite part. Many suitors come from Far and wide, one is claimed to have died of a broken heart on the way home after her polite decline. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Right? Oh, she told me no. Which I will really means that he died in a bar brawl. But probably, you know, it's like, well, what do we tell the king and queen? It was a broken heart. Yeah, it just gave out, ma'am. I ah uh, um. <laughs> oh. I am going to be in so much trouble. Right? <laughs> I lost my boss today. Um, a, a thing that I think is entirely wild, I've never heard of happening before, Muslim men, like more than one, were absolutely willing to convert from Islam to the Georgian Orthodox Church to marry her. And I think that's so worth mentioning because we know from history how often that doesn't happen, Right. I mean, I don't know for sure, just because I don't study a lot of uh, Muslim history, and I now realize that that is a whole. So I don't feel confident in saying yes or no, but I'm like, you know what? I, I haven't heard of that before, but that I don't feel like that's anything to hang my hat on. I gotcha. Yeah. Um, which is cool, because the next guy, and probably the most entertaining suitor she had, and I'm probably going to butcher his name, but I'm sure going to try, he's called the Rum Sultan. The rum sultan. I like him already. No, you don't. Oh. Oh, well, maybe you do because he's quite entertaining. He is, his name is Lunkin Aladan, and he begins his letter, P.S. Remember, he is asking for her hand in marriage in this dreamy fashion. Every woman, and I quote, is feeble-minded. End quote. Okay. Boy, solid start. Really, he's winning. And then his envoy makes things worse by mentioning that the marriage would only be guaranteed if she converts to Islam. Otherwise, he'll still take her in marriage, but she'll simply be one of his concubines. Yeah. So, Tamar, 
being the amazing individual she is, nicely dismisses them, but not before one of her courtiers allegedly hits Runkin's courtier hard enough that he passes out. And when the courtier finally comes to, Tamar sends him back with a message that she didn't care to marry Runkin, and that she would in the end defeat him. And that she did at the Battle of Bossiazzi. Dang. <laughs> you know, her Batch.com profile has got to be a bit... Something, right? Right? Okay, now, I don't know much about this woman, but now enter forever wise Aunt Rusadan, who was not once but twice married to a Muslim sultan who both died within months of their marriage. Coincidence? I think not. Cersei? I think so. <laughs> anyway. I she... bet she had a grandmother like mine who was like, the first marriage, marry for money. Neither her or I followed that advice. <laughs> but here we are. You know, what are you going to do, right? So she has a suggestion and she matches... Tamar with a gentleman called David Soslan, and in 1189 she marries him. Now he is a prince from Alina, which is in modern day Iran, and his people are a story for a different day, which I assure you that I will tell you one day because they are actually one of my probably my number one favorite ancient people group outside of Egypt. I've never. But I'm not going to tell you their name. You you haven't. And I am so excited to tell you that story, but that's not for this day. So, <laughs> tease! You tease! David, I know, right? David proves to be a more than capable man and didn't mind carrying the title of king consort. Because he's a baller, just like Tamar. Because he's screwing <laughs> the queen. Like, what does he care, right? He's living his best life. Right. So he serves her well. He leads her armies on the battlefield. And I'd like to take this moment to point out that unlike many of the other ladies we talk about on the show, she is not known to have ridden into battle. You know, and I was okay. Like, wow, wild. You this mentioned that. It's like, yeah, we we do cover a lot of like, I lead from the front. I do yeah, my own sword um, fights. Yeah, she led from the monastery. She... <laughs> she would travel with the armies and pray for the armies in like every church along the way and nearby monasteries and you know holy places she would stop at all of them and this was incredibly good for the locals right so the church benefits every time the armies go to war because she goes to pray and wherever she goes she goes to the end of Georgia. So, like, the last holy place in Georgia is where she stays. And then she sends the armies on. The armies, however, come back with all kinds of bountiful treasure. And the churches on the way home get it. Which I think okay. is amazing. And that's just one of her, like... I don't know, how do I want to put this? Because we are dealing with a time where you can't... Oh, what's the word? Canonize, for lack of a better one, every action of a person because they still believed in like slavery and and some you know not awesome things like castrating and blinding. You your know enemies. what? People are people, and there's 
everybody has a dark past, right? Right. George you Washington was good with the was was a monster in his own right. So there you have it, right? Like she did some bad things, or she she was an it's part of an institution that did bad things. She right. actually did not allow um, execution or whipping during her reign. Now that does not account for rebels. Like if you're causing a coup or an uprising, you're you're out of that mercy right there. <laughs> but needless to say, she's all about giving back to the people. Um, she's a patron of all the holy places as well as education, art, and she felt it was her duty not just as a Christian but as a ruler to give back. So she would go so far to give from her own personal things, like her own shoes or things she made herself to those in need, along with her financial contributions to the people. There were roads built, waterways, and other infrastructures um, attended to under her leadership that continued to usher in that that time of greatness for all of Georgia. But we got to switch gears right back 180 to war. So worldhistory.org sheds um, some really interesting light on the state of the world at the time. And it basically says that in 1187, Saladin, are you familiar with Saladin? I have heard of him, but being a margarita into this, I do not feel confident in telling you my knowledge about him. Okay, so I'll just give you a quick little synopsis of him. He's the founder of the Abidid dynasty, and he hails from a Kurdish family. He's the first sultan of both Egypt and Syria. And um, he's an important figure of the Third Crusade. Basically, he spearheads the Muslim military effort against the Crusaders. Um, and at the height of his power, his realm spanned Egypt, Syria, Upper Mesopotamia, the Hejaz, Yemen, and Nubia. And he had retaken Jerusalem from the Crusaders. So, like, Saladin is the dude, right? Like, he is out for all the things. So, with his power and him on the rise, Tamar is looking out and she decides this guy could be potentially an issue. She sends two diplomatic missions to him, which secure the safety of George's Monastery of the Cross and Nick's exemption from taxation in exchange for peace between Georgia and Saladin state. So she's like, yeah, we can we can make this work. Now, it should be said though that this is not the first time the two rulers come to some sort of peaceful agreement. It seems that more than maybe more than twice beneficial peaceful agreements come to both sides once before in 1880 1185 excuse me 1885 good god we're a whole few hundred years off on that <laughs> 1185 saladin sends ambassadors to the georgian royal court to request peace so this guy who is like out on the war path is like you know <laughs> let's choose peace with these guys let's lay down our weapons tamar agrees not to attack the territories that are under his control and with that, the major subject of negotiations between Tamar and the Sultan Saladin was the great city of Alat, which was under his control at the time. And it appears that neither side broke the peace treaty and relations between the kingdom of Georgia and the Sultanate of Egypt remained peaceful. And I think that is so important because like I mentioned earlier, her 
predecessors were so good at living on both sides. Like, Mm. you know what I mean? And she clearly looked back and saw that and was like, yeah, here's the thing. I see in him like a worthy opponent. And um, I we can come to peaceful agreement and make this work to the benefit of both of our people. And they do more than once. And I think that's so worth mentioning. So peace is secured in the South, but you know, war is going to erupt in the West because Yuri's back, you know? Oh yeah. yeah. The, the ex yeah, from hell. Guy. <laughs> he sure is. He just will not take those divorce papers. Keeps forgetting to sign them and put them in the mail, you know? He shows up to the Turkish Esrim. His Georgian supporters, led by Guzan of Tau, come out to greet him, and they escort him across the border, at which point they crown him king at the royal palace of, of Gigeti, which is, like, the biggest insult to Queen Tamar, because... Yeah, because she's already wearing the stupid crown. Not only that, but he, she, he... This is, like, the second largest city in her kingdom and so it serves as like the second royal palace right like that's the other seat of power and the she's insulted that that they would put anybody other than her own family line on what they consider to be the throne of david and i'm not just saying like the throne of david her ancestor i'm saying like the throne of david like that's how seriously they took it like biblical David david from the bible like yeah okay so traces his line so to like, jesus right and she's like oh hell no he is not worthy like mm-mm, put put it down go away back off and she initially sends negotiations but then her loyalist army just defeats the rebels in the field when the rebels are surrounded wait, wait. surround send enough negotiators that they just wipe out the opposing army i mean i'm calling she bullshit. sends initially no, I said initially she sends negotiators, but then her loyalist army just defeats the rebels. They're like, we're we're not playing this negotiation thing. We're Dunsky. Like, I'm just we're saying, over peace with this if, guy. If you have enough people going into a negotiation to wage war, I don't feel it's negotiation. I took that when I learned that as she first tried peace and then let the army go. Okay. All right. Like in steps, not that they all came at once. Okay, not um, here's five thousand or fifty thousand of my best negotiators <laughs> with swords, with spears. Yeah, yeah, exactly. On horseback. In fact, in the newest armor, um, so the rebels that did surrender, she shows mercy, and it becomes very characteristic of her. Yuri was once again sent back to exile in Constantinople. Now, why doesn't she behead him? Oh, oh. <laughs> oh, please. <laughs> okay. I so like this I said, transition. He sent back, right? He sent back to Constantinople. The um, rebels that are involved, they lose their lands and their titles, but they get to keep their heads, so that's a bonus. When Guzan of Tao tries to rebel again, David, you know, her husband's David Solison, who has no qualms with being the king consort. He has him blinded before Tamar can even grant him clemency. She's like, nope, he's done. We're But do they cast her? Sorry, him? you didn't get my text. It doesn't say. I don't think they did. Hmm. I'm just saying, just... if we did it earlier, I feel like we're skipping a step. <laughs> 
you know, <laughs> probably. You're probably right. So about this time, Georgia is once again secure, and with a little bit of peace and free time in 1192, Tamar gives birth to the future King George IV. Oh. You know, the whole reason they wanted her to marry in the first place was so they could secure her dynasty, right? So now she has a male heir. And like all husbands, Dave goes out to celebrate by launching two military campaigns. You know, that's what my husband did. (laughs) I put a baby girl in his hands and he waged war. On the moon. Here we go. Right. Yeah. So he launches two campaigns. One, he captures the city of Bardavi, the old capital of Albania in the Eastern Caucasus and Esrim. And in response, the Caliph of Baghdad declared a jihad of all Muslims against Georgia. So that's a bit problematic. Nasrat al-Din Akbar, a Muslim ruler of the Eldridge dynasty, Nazarbajan, led the attack, occupying Georgia's allies, the Muslim state of Shraven, around the same time. Okay, do you remember Do you remember her loser first husband, Yuri? You know, the one we yeah, were just yeah, talking about? Yeah, the one that we yeah, should have just... Castrated as he was, that he he still acts a fool. Oh, so he is not blinded. His his guy that brought him into the country, Guzan. Oh, dang it! See, that's the thing. Why you got to do the X? Well, you'll beat him to snakes. Something. Give him the old Ragnar Lothbrok. (laughs) Right. Look, I mean, I'm not picky. Just be done with him, right? Like, yeah, take him off the census. Well, he arrives and he pledges his loyalty to Akbar. But it's of cool because he, he was right. Well, in eleven ninety three, which is, you know, probably less than a year later at this point, um, he's defeated by a Georgian duke, and we never hear from him again. Like he just disappears. From history. So my guess is, and I have a couple theories. He dies. A, he dies. He dies. Or B, he finally figures it out. Just go lives in a cave somewhere and like minds his business. Like <laughs> he is not getting that power back. Sorry, bud, you're done. My guess is he dies. So you're Bro got a paper cut dies. prior to antibiotics and then rots away of syphilis. God How I are those two so. things related? I don't know, but syphilis syphilis was on the paper that gave him the paper cut i don't know i'm here to help the story along okay i mean i don't know if that's how you can transmit it i'm sure maybe he got it on his tongue carry on carry on i'm we've we've already (laughs) hit we've already checked my boxes yeah he's dead as far as i'm concerned he's gone and to celebrate she gives birth in 1194 to her daughter named after her aunt rusadan Hell yes. Right? Okay. So, there's um, <laughs> a little bit more war. So, the main Muslim army under Akbar faces off against her husband, Dave. And at the Battle of... Excuse me, now, is it really Dave? Sandport, I feel like it was David. We've it's re- David. Okay, we've reduced David. it. I just want to make sure that yeah, I know so that I don't Dave. search like husband Dave, Dave and then I get really upset that I can't <laughs> find it like if I looked up Lizzie one I doubt I would find stuff you know now I want to try and I'll get back to you on that <laughs> um, 
<laughs> if you research so, Lizzie one, please email us. What did you get? <laughs> we are dying to know. I feel like if you Googled husband Dave, you're going to get some LinkedIn right? profile. Right. Like I'm a stay at home dad who supports his executive wife. Yep. That's exactly this what is my wife, get. Ethel. She's great at her job. She's a creative. And director. Ethel's like, yep. Yep. She makes $7 million a month. And I teach yoga on Tuesdays. So they, the two armies come face to face at the Battle of Shamkor in 1195. Dave is victorious, and even the Khalifal banners were captured, which I think is so freaking cool. And they were given by Tamar to the Georgian monastery of Kalikukani. And I think I said that wrong K H A K H U L I. Kakulai? Either way, what a move. You take from one right? religion and give to another. I, As a gift, I brought you this flag. <laughs> I think love that for her. So the Victorian Georgian, the victorious Georgian army, they march on Ganja, capturing the city and giving it to the... They march on where? Omar. Ganja. G-A-N-J-A. I just want you to know I was listening. You did so good. (laughs) (laughs) And I just want you to know, I was hoping you didn't notice. (laughs) So they capture it to the city. They capture that city and they give it to Amar Merhem. And he's the brother of Akbar, which I think is interesting, to govern as a Georgian vassal. So So I'm assuming Akbar was actually, you know, he was he was he was a good dude in this. Um, you know, so they're kind of going back and forth, right? Like, I think that initially Akbar was, I mean, out out for blood, if you want to, if you want to call it that, because you got to remember, like, a jihad has been called on them. And I'm trying but that, to, I mean, look, I'm my sister's called for all kinds of things. And that doesn't mean that I necessarily follow her every move, jihad or not. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I guess that's true. Um, I shouldn't compare my relationship I'm sorry. Okay, with so my no. sister to an entire religion and a holy war. I should walk so, that back. <laughs> Rewind. It was the caliph in Baghdad who declares the jihad. Um, Akbar led the armies. Okay. Okay. But so interesting to note there, because like you said, he could have been a good dude. The The governorship was given to his brother. One of the things that's very characteristic of her reign is that she would place the locals like she wouldn't conquer a region and then give it to her noblemen. She would have it continue to be ruled by the people there, which I think is genius if you're trying to create loyalty. Right. right. Like. Right. So that's that is worth noting. Um However, uh, Akbar has his brother poisoned, and he manages to recapture Ganja. So, I mean, maybe Akbar Ganja's is not desirable. The best. <laughs> but the Georgian army marches victoriously south, even capturing important trading cities. And though their success supposedly led Akbar to drink himself to death, Ganja did. Resist recapture. So Wait a I think minute. That's interesting to note. Do they do they drink in Muslim countries? Well, he did. Okay, I just <laughs> I, I say that and I'm like I don't know if they do. I I I 
think certain certain sects do. I think wine is something that they're they're very much allowed to partake in. I think that's it though. Um so at this point Georgia is now at its greatest territorial expanse. They could be considered an empire. The Quran expl explicitly forbids drinking. Well, Akbar drunk himself to death. <laughs> okay, carry on, carry on. He, he did not make it into Valhalla. Um, that's, that's, we're mixing metaphors now. <laughs> that's what I'm good at, yo. So, I'm gonna, I'm gonna end the bulk of the middle of her, her life saying that her kingdom is now the size of an empire. It's in its golden age. She is for the most part, ruling her peace, her people peacefully. She also tames a lion cub as a pet. I expect nothing less. I can't say that I would have anticipated that sentence, but okay. That's why I saved it. Um, <laughs> there's some wonderings about why she did that. One reason is perhaps well, because to she could. Power. Right? It was That's there. That's exactly what I was going to say. She does it because she can. If you, if um, I was remotely close to a lion cub, I wouldn't do it to demonstrate my power. I would do it because it, it's friend-shaped. I want to pet it so bad. And boop the nose. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, that's seen, what I'm doing it for. Have you seen the TikTok profile in Russian family that has a cougar? And you I think see so. this killing machine come over and do head pushes and like Ugh. nudge the man to wake him up. And you're thinking his ilk has yeah, eaten that. many hikers, many, many <laughs> hikers has jumped out of trees, snapped the necks of some woman just doing her two mile trail jog, drug her into the bushes and feasted on her for days. And he just wants you're pets. throwing empty Sprite bottles at it to chase around the house. Yeah. I'm here for one. it. I need one. Same. I could not agree with you more. I like how I just uh, say you know, deadly, deadly, deadly. Yes, please. This is how I clock out. I'll take two. <laughs> My toxic trait is believing I'd survive. <laughs> I'm fine with trying, though. If that's how I go out, I went out happy. In pain, but happy, you know? Right, like, uh, yeah, predictably. So, yeah. Yeah. For whatever reason, it doesn't matter. She has a lion, and that's really all that matters. I, too, want a lion. The exact cause and date of Queen Tamar's death are not known for sure. Some say that she died in 1213 near Tilbisi, Georgia. And her body was taken to the Glenty Monastery where she was buried with her ancestors. Mm. There are some interesting legends that surround her death, such as one that says 12 coffins were secretly taken in different directions and buried so that no one would ever know where her real tomb was. I don't really buy that one because I fully believe she was put in her family's with her with her ancestors. That makes sense. Right. She is remembered as one of the greatest rulers of Georgia. 
and is a saint of the Georgian Orthodox Church. She leaves behind a legacy of political, military, and cultural achievements and a strong sense of national identity that is still relevant today. I love her. Ooh, it just gets me. Um, the yeah, I will say literature... her sainthood is very different than, say, St. Olga of Kiev. Yeah, but you know what? I think they would have been besties. Yeah, probably. Two strong female yeah. rulers. Not putting up with the men's crap. Yeah, but I, I will say that... She um, was more your, merciful than Olga. Yeah, your, Olga. your girl actually <laughs> showed mercy, and Olga was like, why did you take a bath in my bathhouse? Come this way. Do please. I know. Bring your boats. <laughs> well, they were besties. That's that's all I'm going to believe. You know, Here's the deal. Your girl was to you as Olga Kiev is to me. And so best friends they shall be. But, you know, here I am. I, I'm going to burn down the bathhouse. And you might grant mercy. Depending pick on the day. Your, pick your saint. <laughs> yeah, do what you're going to do. We're, we're here for it, right? Right. It's and a little of call A, a little of call in B, right? Both you is know, good. Your dice is going to be like, yeah, you got to roll above this to get mercy, roll below that to be castrated with your eyes gouged out. And Teresa, yeah, Teresa's just good. Teresa just chose violence. She woke up that way. <laughs> roll for exit strategy. <laughs> and I'll roll for initiative. Call it good. Um, so that's her story. Like I said, the the piece of literature that I mentioned at the beginning is still really relevant to their people today. And when I was learning about it, it mirrored the events of the time in her life so clearly. For example, the women have to have a say in word in their marriages, and she should simply rule because she's your daughter, not because she's female or male. Mm. Like, these are all themes taking place within this just epic piece of poetry right and it's written during her reign yeah so it's really easy to see the correlation and i am so 100 percent for it after she dies her son takes over george the fourth and then later her daughter now, i'm assuming will, jorge not it wasn't even jorge i just renamed yorgi. it again yorgi <laughs> yorgi yeah I was just like, it's George. George, but not George. And that's how my brain retained it. <laughs> it's Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what we're calling it. I feel like this story had so many words that could have come from another language. that I was like, wait a minute. Is this Hawaiian? This is definitely Spanish. Mm. But I would like to end on the note that after her son's, after her son, Giorgi died, her daughter ruled as a sole monarch whoa mm -hmm. yep and that was the end of the georgian golden era after that the mongols came and sadly destroyed much of the literature and i assume a great bulk of the history of the people as well so we don't know a ton but there's there's my story on queen tamar of georgia i love her i love her so so right. much and I was so excited to find her to learn. Oh. I have a picture. Yes. Pictures. You're going to be impressed. Pictures. 
Okay, so she is showing me a clear, um, well, first off, a background of a Vulcan doing a cooking show. But on... <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> Sorry, that's Spock and and Captain Pike. I can't you see... You just can't see Captain Pike. And so I just see Vulcan. I don't, you know, it's out of context. Anyhow, um, what what we should be focusing on is Angie's <laughs> notes. And that's what I'm going to focus on from here on out. But you have a clear uh, medieval portrait of a woman standing in the archway. There is a mountain range behind her. She is wearing a very ornate crown and robe. Um, she has a piece of fabric underneath her chin, like a chin strap, but it is done a bit more I think innately. it's like a veil. Veil, right? like it goes, yeah, yeah. It goes from, and the then oh, and it, oh, it does come the... to the top. Okay, yeah. yeah, okay. So veil, I typically don't see the veil with a with a crown. So it was, you know, I I went to chin strap. I blame good, the margarita. I mean, you're that's fair. I'll let you have it. Okay, um, and I keep wanting to scroll down on your photo, um, oh, even though sorry. I don't have control over your screen. Okay, so it does. It is a floor length gown with billowy arms. Um, it's basically <laughs> a giant kafgan. Like if Moomoo's could monarch, that's what this is. <laughs> I just broke you. <laughs> that is the name of this episode. <laughs> if Moomoo's could monarch. I mean, but that's what this is, right? Like it is a very ornate Moomoo. It is flowy. Everything it's... about this says I work from home and I'm not wearing a bra. I will never be able <laughs> to unsee any medieval art any other way. If my next to monarch, <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> Are you crying? Yes. I'm trying to get it together. And here I'm the one that's drunk. Uh, <laughs> Imagine if I had that margarita. We oh, would be in the God. hurt locker. <laughs> my face is leaking. <laughs> <laughs> and if you've enjoyed this episode of Face Leaking, rate, review, subscribe. <laughs> I mean, I say that jokingly, but the truth is, I don't think we have time for, for my story. So I think we get to like put mine on the shelf for next time. Um, and I, I don't hate any of this. I think all of this is fantastical. I could have probably done another whole episode on the like middle part of her life. <laughs> I mean, this is what happened when I did like Fred, like we were talking about Queens and I, I, I brought up Fredegund and Brunhild. I literally could, that could have been a three episode. Yeah. I mean, when I was They're like, oh, crap, all pages of notes. Like, I gotta, I gotta edit this down. Yeah, no. I loved that story. It's one of my favorites. Have I sent you that book? No, not yet. Oh, I really should have put it in the package with your, your bill, your script. It's amazing. It's sitting right next to me. You can't see it, but it's right here on my desk. It, it'll go on the wall, and then it'll it'll be available for your viewing pleasure. And that's that's fantastical. Um, but anyhow, 
If you are wanting to know, we publish these things weekly because we literally have nothing else to do. Our lives is consuming these stories and then regurgitating. And we would love it if your life included listening to regurgitations. Let us mama bird these stories to you. And on that note, I will only be doing it in a moo from now on. <laughs> and that's all we ask. You know? And on that note, goodbye. Bye. Bye.